This is Fresh Ed, a weekly podcast that makes complex ideas and educational research easily understood. I'm your host, Will Brem. This is the final show in the Global Learning Metrics mini-series. The two-day inaugural CIES Symposium has concluded. As a wrap-up, I'm going to play my brief conversation with Pazi Sauber, a professor at the University of Helsinki, about some of his reactions to the symposium. Yeah, my name is Pasi Salberg and I, I live in Helsinki. I'm at the moment I'm a sabbatical writer, so I'm writing. So a lot of op-eds. Uh, yeah, op-eds, and I have a couple of books underway. So must be nice. I just need time to um, to uh, you know stop and think for a moment. Yeah, exactly. Um, so how is the symposium going so far? Do you think? The symposium is interesting. You know, I, I really enjoy this uh, rather small community. You can easily get to know everybody. You can you can kind of re- reach uh, all the speakers, and it's very informal, so it's going well. And any any ideas that have stuck out in your opinion? Uh, there's been a lot of talk about uh, these international assessments and 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 studies, and I think. Um, Probably it's because of the, 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 the way people come to these, these events, but I can hear a growing concern about some of these things that we've been doing uh, through these studies like PISA or TIMS and PEARLS. Um, uh, I, I hope that there is a beginning to be a kind of a wider recognition um, among this community and others about the limitations of these studies, but also possibilities. I think the... the um, um, kind of a black and white thinking is not necessarily what we need. I, I, I need we need a better understanding, and this this symposium has helped me also to understand a little deeper about the, the true nature of these uh, large scale international assessments. So to see some of the gray area. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think that earlier, probably five years ago, when there were people who were raising questions and concerns about the uh, the reliability and trustworthiness of these studies, they will seem like. So you just want to be critical and criticize everything. But I, I think that this, in this, simp- this community, for example, here, I think it's becoming more like a, really like a discourse that people can, that we can have a conversation about these gray areas and, um, and, and as I said, try to understand better what we're doing. So how would you define global learning metrics? Uh, you know, I'm, I must admit that before this symposium, I didn't really use this term too much um, and, and that's why for all the way until now when I became here I think the global learning metrics have really meant to me primarily the, these uh, available uh, student assessments like like we have been discussing here the team's pearls uh, ICCS PISA and, and the others so kind of a way how we use the standard and standardized ways of measuring uh, parts of education, school education around the world. So that's that's what my mind tells me the global learning metrics are. I, I was the same way. When I heard the topic, I said, what are global learning metrics? And I, I, I actually thought it might sound rather boring, you know? Um, but then listening, I heard, you know, it's like I heard a lot about PISA, and then the other parts that I heard a lot about were the sustainable development goals. It, right, you know, right. like it was another sort of and it was kind of, there was almost like a tension. It's like you can't equate PISA with global learning metrics, but, you know, because the sustainable development goals, it's about trying to identify and come up with one that could then be used. Yeah, yeah. But then I think also we should probably include in this 
the conversation about these metrics is the um, you know all these uh, skills, these global skills and competencies discourse that is also evolving and, and very much uh, driven by the international development organizations, the World Bank, OECD and others. And I think those are also, th those are related to these, uh, these measurement things that we are talking about, these kind of a global standards for, for schools right. that are often, often much more about skills than anything else. Right. And do you think it's actually possible to measure like these skills? 21st century skills, for instance? Well, you know, I don't, I, I belong to those who I, I don't quite understand this whole conversation about 21st century skills because also I, 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 was, I was a teacher in the 1980s and, and most of those things were kind of like essential parts of the teacher's work already 35 years ago and, and many of them are like come from the past. I see. So I, I would rather not talk about uh, 21st century skills, but I think it's a, it's a good question to ask whether we can, can we measure, for example, social skills or creativity. I, I know that there are many people who are trying to develop against kind of a metrics for uh, measuring tolerance or creativity or those things. I think it's going to be uh, extremely difficult to have a, have a globally reliable measure uh, of something like creativity, for example, because I think it's, uh, um, I, I don't know, I, I think that when, when if, if you have a kind of a standard how to do that, you by definition, you will narrow down the, the, the very complex and open, open meaning of creativity, for example, yeah. what, what, do you, what do you mean? And, and then, of course, the danger is that as soon as we have a common definition for what, what creativity is and how it's measured, that then the schools are beginning to do those things and leave all the other parts of the creativity, for example, away. And I think that may be a kind of a thing that we should not be doing. Right, I mean, it, something like creativity seems as like it would evolve and it can be understood differently by different people and is enacted differently. And, you know, it just doesn't seem like it would even be possible to come up with a proxy. Exactly. Yes, and I, I would rather rather see something something very different uh, to to be done in this this field. For example, why we couldn't have a system where, let's say, within the OECD, the thirty four OECD countries, somebody would help and finance and support countries or education systems to come together and do a. a peer review or something where they would really try to understand what the others are doing, uh, for example, in the field of creativity, let's say, and then use this peer review, peer learning mechanism to uh, f firstly to understand how well they are themselves doing these things and then how they could improve through learning from, from one another. So I, I, I don't think that we necessarily need these types of global uh, metrics that will then enable us to rank order the countries from the most creative systems of education and, and then the rest. But why not just have a system where education systems would have means to somehow understand how, how they're doing these things um, themselves and then learn from one another? Yeah, I mean, it seems like with global learning metrics and the way it's operationalized, or maybe not even at the global level, but at the national level, is this insistence on assessment mm. assessments to measure that then can help you know create evidence-based policy making maybe to drive economic growth in some distant future 
But I, I wonder sometimes, like, like through all of these tests, are schools teaching children that life is all about competition? But, you know, I think th this is a very American or Anglo-American way of thinking what you just described. If you say something like that in the Nordic countries, any Nordic country, uh, they would probably think that you're a little bit strange <laughs> because we, we are not thinking like many people here. I remember when I came, came here about three years ago to, um, to work here for a while, somebody told me but that, that please remember that here in America people think that if it moves, it must be measured. And I, it, it, it took a long time for me to understand that, you know, why people think like this. And, and, and then I realized that this is it's a, it's a really different culture because we would never say that in, in Finland or Sweden or, or uh, anywhere in Northern Europe because we would just wonder if somebody's moving or something is moving, we would just probably enjoy that and just wonder that <laughs> where he or she or that is going to. And, and that's why I think uh, I think I w w what I would hope that this country would learn from others through this increased communication and collaboration internationally in international education is that you don't need to measure everything. You don't need to always ask the question, how do we measure this? How do we know that you know, these things are, are working? For example, what is a very common thing, again, in the, in the Nordic countries, if you call there any, any of them, is that people are much more concerned about whether children are happy in school, whether they, they feel good, whether they're healthy, uh, whether they have all their basic needs met, uh, whether they have healthy relationships with one another and those things. And only, only after that, the, the questions come, the how well they are learning math and reading and so, you know, all those other things. And I, th I think it's a, it's a, it's a very different, different logic compared to what it is here, where, where in America, so easily the first question is that how many, how many of your kids are reading at the grade level? Um, uh, and only, you know, there's a long silence and pause, and then somebody may ask about the kids happy. Do, do they like what they do? Do they find this uh, kind of interesting and meaningful? So, so we are in a very different, different cultures, and sometimes these conversations I find are very kind of a strange in a way, <laughs> because the questions are interesting, but they are not really, they, they, they are relevant here, but they are not relevant in many other places. So how, how is this, you know, because I, so in the Nordic countries, though, assessment still occurs. Is that right? Sure. Yeah. But, you know, mo most of these most of these assessment related questions uh, are, are something that teachers will figure out themselves or together with other teachers. So so um, we rely much more on teachers judgment uh, and also teachers collective judgment uh, when we are concerned about whether kids are or how well children are learning something in a school. Whereas that's something that is very rare here in America. That, that you, you know, can we can we trust and rely on what the teachers are saying when they say that that 75% of my class know how to read or can do these things? So how do we know that this teacher is correct? Right. But but the, and and this is again a kind of a difference of uh, how much we can trust and rely on these professionals that we have in our schools. And that's why I think that's one reason why we need to have in my country. We need to have highly educated and trained uh, teachers in each and every classroom so that the, the public and parents and politicians, that they, they can really rely on these professionals just, just like they trust their dentists or medical doctors or engineers or any, anybody else who have a similar level of education. So you don't necessarily need like 
to measure teachers objectively all the time to get all of this data and create some sort of algorithm that will then spit out if this teacher is doing well or not well and that will be the the way we decide the policy of, of, of a country. That You're saying that you don't necessarily need that sort of big data approach. At least I can say that in Nordic countries we don't need that type of measuring teachers because it's a, we are evaluating teachers and, and kind of reviewing what teachers are, do all the time. But that's again very much done by the community, a collective community like school uh, themselves. And again, this is I think this is the question of trust. You know, if you trust mm that the schools are doing right things, that they are doing what they're supposed to do and they're trying to do their best, uh, then you can also rely on these things, that they, they, have a, they have a sense of understanding how well people in that institution or in that, uh, that school, how well they're doing the things that they're supposed to do. That we, we don't need to build these measurements or accountability systems to you know, get answers to these questions. If somebody in Finland is, is, is uh, interested in knowing how good teachers are in any given school, uh, just make a phone call to the principal or superintendent or director there and ask this and they have a pretty good understanding about the, the, this question. So, so you would never see anybody rolling out a, a spreadsheet and looking at the, the uh, assessment or test uh, scores of each and every teacher. So I heard earlier today that you said you worked in the World Bank for five years. So the, the, what you just said doesn't seem to match a lot with what we think about the World Bank when it comes to educational development. How was, how was your time in the World Bank? How did, how did you navigate that? No, you know, that was a time when, when, um, uh, when we have had, uh, I, I think it's about the time when the second, when I was there, the second cycle of OECD PISA results were published. So this was still a kind of an early, early era of, of benchmarking of education systems. Uh, there was a lot of confusion that time. You know, Finland was there doing very well and Canada and some other countries. And then there was a number of education systems that were not performing well at all. So people were, people, there, there was a lot of uh, excitement to hear about, you know, what, how, how things are done in, in different places. And I think, I, I think the, the, my colleagues at the bank and, and many of the clients, many of the countries uh, where I used to work, that they were curious about you know hear, hearing these stories, what are we doing and what the Canadians are doing and the others. Um, and I think it was it was interesting time in, in, in that way. But then when these stories started to evolve and we began to see a kind of a pattern coming out of these international studies later on, like 2004, to, uh, 2003, 2006 PISA studies that began to kind of uh, confirm the finding that y you know the, the higher performing education systems are not doing many of those things that you can find for example here in the United States like accountability, testing, school choice, competition, uh, privatization of the system that way that they were actually doing many of those things in an in opposite way. Now, I, I think I, I think that's when the more confusion uh, also within the bank began to uh, began to um, emerge because to be completely honest I think many of the banks approaches in educational improvement particularly in developing countries were pretty much based on these these assumptions that were there um, in, in the United States uh, American system before we knew how the higher performing well-performing systems were doing by PISA. So early years were fun, 
uh, a lot of like like a, like a you know sharing stories but then i think for some, for some people and and still it's for some people hard to accept that they are uh, they are strongly publicly governed education systems that are doing very well that, and they they are doing very little standardized testing they have a really different concept of accountability um, and and many other things that go against the kind of a common way of thinking that you find in many of the Anglo-American countries. So it was interesting, interesting time. I was the one of the few educators that time uh, with the bank. So of course, but my my perspective on educational improvement was a different, sometimes very different than those of economists or other people. So, but I, I found it an interesting, interesting um, conversations and and work together with these people. Has the research on what a quote-unquote good school is and realizing that a lot of these systems that were being promoted weren't necessarily you know, connected or causing these good systems, did the World Bank learn? You know, they're a knowledge bank. Did they learn about these and and in, and in, you know put them into their practice. The yeah, I, practice? I, certainly. I, I think everybody has been learning learning many things. I think one one thing that the the, the bank certainly took uh, differently um, when the story started to 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 be a kind of a build that, that the role of teachers, that the teacher education, that the bank was not doing actually at all when I joined the bank, that the teacher edu initial teacher education or professional development of teachers didn't really exist at all. Or leadership training—that is another one that is. We now know that um, better performing education systems have really systematically improved the the middle level leadership, and those things are uh, somehow part of the the banks uh, and OECD's um, work. So for sure. But I, I think you, you you mentioned the the building building a good school. That's not a rocket science. That's everybody know. We know now how to make uh, make a good school, or we know how to make five good schools. Uh, but you know how to design or redesign the, the entire system. That is a political system with a lot of diversity and, and complexities. That's something, and that's what the banks, uh, development banks, are dealing with. The, the the World Bank is not dealing with individual schools. They're dealing with the the policy level systems, and and that's something that is much more complicated to do how to change all the schools in the system rather than how to improve a small number of schools and that's something that I think still is uh, the understanding is still not complete within these organizations or even within the research community because it's not only a technical issue it is a political issue and probably a cultural issue exactly yeah and the, the other sectors are engaged in, in, in most often like a health Health sector or other social sectors there, um, and how we have approached historically these questions in education is through education policy, and I think that that's sometimes what makes things complicated. Well, thank you so much for sitting down. Pleasure. Thank you. Pazi Sauberg is professor at the University of Helsinki. He tweets at at Pazi underscore Sauberg. Fresh Ed is brought to you by the Globalization and Education Special Interest Group of the Comparative and International Education Society. Original music for Fresh Ed was created by Digital Primate. Please note that opinions expressed on Fresh Ed are solely those of the host or the guest interviewed, not CIES or the Globalization and Education SIG, which take no institutional positions. Please be sure to visit us at freshedpodcast.com.
Thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this mini-series. I'm Will Brem, and I'll be back on Monday with our regular shows.